Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us. This is Controlling Commodity Costs, and we are your hosts, Craig Turner and Tom Dazzle. We are your authority to gain control of your commodity exposure, stay ahead of the competition, and maximize your profit margins. This podcast is brought to you by StoneX Group, a Fortune 100 company with a 100-year history in the commodity markets. You can find us on the NASDAQ. All right, welcome to the August Market Talk episode. I'm Tom Dosdall, joined here with Craig Turner. As always, Craig, how are we doing today? We are doing great, Tom. Um, yeah, so uh, good to be back, and I think we're going we're gonna to kick this off with some macro market talk and then switch over into the grain markets. That sounds like a plan. Yeah, the, the talk on markets lately here. Well, a lot of, a lot of trade desks are partially vacant i think and volumes are still down but we noticed the stock markets have been on a little bit of a slide the last couple of weeks yeah absolutely um which happens you're right we're, a lot of places are on skeleton staff especially as you get closer to labor day but there has been stories and concerns come out of china you have the slow growth their population is starting to decrease uh, they've had some real estate issues uh, with some of their major companies there and then just this week uh, the as the People's Bank of China, they reduced interest rates, and I think the market was a little was a little disappointed. The one year only came down 0.1 percent. I think they were looking for more, and then the five year rate in China didn't come down at all, and that's what a lot of mortgages are tied to that rate. So we'll see. There's you know there there's been some stories about China in the business press, and uh, and we've even seen, uh, you know, the guy from the Big Short. You know, there he was in the, in the, you know, in the press late last week too, placing bets against uh, the stock market through the S and P and the Nasdaq. So there's something going on here, and it's something to, to keep an eye on. Yeah, they're kind of trying. It seems like they're trying to walk a fine line too between wanting to try to stimulate the economy with the central bank there and and lowering the rates, but also not wanting to overly weaken the yuan currency. Mm -hmm. So. It'll be interesting to see if they how they can how they can walk that tightrope. Yeah. Did you say what was the in, in the real estate side of things? What did you hear on that lately? So basically, the one two of their largest companies have had uh, have had issues. Um, one of them, I believe, is Evergreen. The other one is Country Garden. Um, yeah, and there's been talk of suspension of payments, uh, possible bankruptcy, and that is what maybe led to the. The, the speculation is that may have been what has led to the central bank kind of stepping in and, and showing some support and some stimulus. Uh, some of the economics coming out of China too. We've heard some concerns about are they in are they in a deflationary you know period over there, which you never want to hear about any kind of major uh, economy. So you know we've had what 30, 40 years it seems like of constant or near constant Chinese growth. And it's interesting. I don't remember having these conversations about China and their central bank before. Um, and the thing is, which is always a pain, is you just never know. It's not, they're not, uh, the transparency isn't there like it would be with maybe some other countries. So it's kind of everyone's guessing game at this point. All right. So, and then we'll have uh, later here in August, in about a week or so, we've got a lot of focus on what Chairman Powell is going to be saying out at the Jackson Hole, the annual conference they hold out there. I think general consensus is expecting to hear higher rates for longer, but um, that'll be another focus probably on the macro side here 
uh, as we get toward oh, August 25th and beyond? Yeah, and I think you're right. I mean, the the reason why you're hearing a lot of, well, one, they've been saying that. I mean, they've been saying higher rates and for longer, but the historical kind of support for that is they, you know, the central bankers, they're all academics. They know what happened in the 70s. And when things were getting better, they eased up on rates and inflation ended up spiking back up. And I think they just want to avoid that. And if you take a look at the Fed funds rate, what are we like five and a half to 575? And in, depending on which inflation number you look at, it's somewhere in the threes, whether it be CPI or something else. Mm -hmm. And that's a real interest rate of positive 2% plus. Um, and that's significant because we've had negative real interest rates. The real interest rate is Fed funds minus the rate of inflation. And when Fed funds rate were you know, practically zero, we've had negative interest rates for years. We had negative interest rates. So now we have a positive interest rate. I think the Fed will keep that. And maybe as long as employment is steady, you know, that is really, and they can get, if they can somehow get inflation closer to 2%, they're going to be encouraged to keep, uh, they're going to be encouraged to keep interest rates high and elevated as long as they don't see some very detrimental uh, issues to the economy. And I think a lot of economists out there are saying maybe we're not in recession and this will be a, a soft landing and that'll just encourage the Fed to keep rates higher for longer. Yeah. Well, and we'll see. There's still that full, there's always that doubt over how, how when, when that'll kick in, you know, 8% right. mortgage, mortgage rates or when does that ripple down to the rest of the economy? So I know you said uh, you, you saw something interesting from uh, the big short in, in the last, yeah. uh, what, the last week or two. Yeah. It was in the press last week at the end of last week. And it's Michael Burry, I believe. And he, you know, he was the center piece of that movie, the big short and, He's the one who bet against subprime and he, he runs a fund that's about a, a one and a half billion fund. Uh, he ended up buying options that in the S and P and the NASDAQ on those ETFs where the notional value is about 1.5 billion. It doesn't mean he took his 1.5 billion and just loaded it up on options. I mean, an option will cost one, two or 3% of the total index in terms of, the notional value, but he did buy a, put a substantial uh, bet on the stock market coming down. And, you know, I don't think people are that bearish on the stock market, but if, or anymore, at least that's what the price action, I mean, we're up 15% or something like in the past, over this past year. But if you did think there were some cracks in the Chinese economy, you know, and, and we had maybe a little bit of a, and we do have deflation there and the central bank needs to step in and there is a, the real estate issues are bigger than you think that would spill over into the U S economy, the S and P 500, those companies are multinationals. So is the NASDAQ and a downturn in China certainly would impact them too. Just like how a recession or major recession in the United States would impact the rest of the world too. I think what's really interesting. I'll just use this last point is the, the guy from the big short, the last time he had an idea and put it into practice, he went to all the banks and he bought those credit default swaps. And he ended not just being right, but he ended up being so right, he almost bankrupted the counterparty, right? Because it, it was the other banks that held it and he almost didn't even get paid on it and the Fed had to bail him out. So I think he may have learned his lesson this time around. If he's going to bet against a crash, he might as well do it in the most liquid market out there that's publicly traded or that 
that that does have you know and eliminate that counterparty risk so that's just my my two cents there but it it's been an interesting story going around and on twitter and through the financial press and that's something to keep an eye on yeah anytime someone's putting on big positions it's helpful to at least be aware of and have a conversation about it so um switching over here into the commodity space you know crude oil oil prices have been rising energy prices rising as well natural gas since we did our last update mid-july grain prices i think have actually come a little bit lower like when we spoke last in mid-july we were in the middle of a little bit of a weather scare there uh uh, and corn led the markets higher Soybeans were up uh, behind it, and now then we came back down. They got some rain. They got through that that scare there, and um, there was also escalating attacks in Ukraine in the end of the Black Sea export corridor in our last episode. Um, that has since kind of fallen by the wayside. Those headlines have not been driving price in the grains as much lately. But we are in a little bit of a weather scare again here, at least this week coming up across the Midwest with temps reaching into the hundreds and. Uh, Maybe some late concern for some soybeans rallying the price there. Yeah, for sure. I mean, soybeans are the tightest on the balance sheets, and the weather for August matters more to soybeans than it does for corn and certainly winter wheat. And winter wheat's already been harvested, and to some extent, spring wheat too. But and also, not only is oil seeds tighter than the grain in the cereal markets, and soybeans have the most and get hit the hardest with with hot and dry August weather. There's been concerns about the canola crop, and which is also part of you know the four major oil seeds on the global export market. And we had, believe it or not, some freezing temperatures in not why it wasn't widespread, but parts of central to northern Alberta and the northwest part of Saskatchewan, which is which really is that's big canola country out there. So yeah, the oil seeds, soybeans number one, canola would be number two have been supportive here with these weather issues. Now we have a crop tour in the Midwest this week. We'll be seeing a lot of pictures on Ag Twitter uh, from Indiana, Illinois, Iowa, Nebraska, and into Minnesota of all these crops. And we'll have a, we'll get a little bit better idea of what things look like in the field, but you're absolutely right. If there's gonna be any kind of weather risk here at the end of the season, it's gonna be to uh, to soybeans um, with these very hot and dry temperatures this week. Yeah, I and I think they start planting soybeans in Brazil in September. And yeah. Brazil, I mean, on the world, um, so maybe take a step back. On the last, on the August WASDE report last week, uh, USDA estimated soybean yield at 50.9 bushels per acre, so a little below the 51.3 bushel per acre estimate. They look, however, they so they're down on yields month over month. It went from 52 in July to 50.9 in August. Uh, that reduces the new crop carryout, but they also reduced export demand, albeit only slightly. I think it was only 5 million bushels or so. But still, U.S. ending stocks are projected at 245 million for the new crop, which is, as you said, still very close to pipeline minimum. So we can't afford, you know, a half bushel more off uh, off the yield here in August. From August to September is a big deal for the U.S. balance sheet. Um, and then you get into Brazil's growing season with the El Nino condition. It's kind of a flip from La Nina, whereas in La Nina, we've got hot and dry conditions potentially for Argentina and southern Brazil. Well, in El Nino, those areas tend to be well, well watered, 
and the threat moves north sort of into the central and north central growing regions for Brazil. So when we think about soybeans, that world balance sheet needs to get refilled with another big crop from South America next week. El Nino could be something, well, it's obviously an uncertainty going forward into the fall and winter, but I know they're coming off in Brazil, one of their driest winters on record. So they're gonna be planting into a dry soils and uh, they're planting in just a month. Yeah, it's it's definitely going to be a story. And, you know, seasonally, when we're talking about prices and if you're if you need if you're buying, if you need to buy grains or oilseed for your operation. Usually what happens is when you get past the 4th of July, seasonally, the markets come lower. And as long as there's no drought, weather premium comes out of the market. We grind. There will be rallies along the way, but we'll grind right into the end of August as the crop is made and the old crop first notice days. Uh, expire and then the the market will bottom out usually in September sometime and they some people call it a post harvest rally and it is true you get less selling pressure as as sales are being made and after farmers have cleared out old crop to make way for new crop but what Tom's saying there is also a really good point there South America weather issues start to creep in and if Brazil is starting off dry and we're going to El Nino um, I, it's hard to see the grain and oil seed markets rally much in August, but if this is still a story with South America in September and the farther along we get through September and past harvest and we're still dry and it's, and those forecasts aren't changing, then that, that is going to be a concern for soybeans and the funds and the money and the money flow have a way of, of getting back into the market at that point. And we keep using, and, and I mean, the story on soybeans is going to continue to be, we'll keep talking about this. It'll sound like a broken record, I'm sure, months ahead, but the soybean oil use, right? The need to produce uh, soybean oil to feed the renewable diesel, and the, the greater demand on uh, those renewable fuels going forward keeps keeps our usage. Again, I think the crush report, the latest crush report was a third or the fourth month in, month in a row where our consumption is exceeding production of soybean oil. So it'll continue to be a factor, uh, the demand to crush those soybeans. We're gonna continue to produce an abundance of soy meal to where we'll be now needing to export more soy meal, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, and it keeps that demand on more US acres uh, strong going forward. And if we're gonna have more, U- more soybean acres in the future, it's gonna have to come at the expense of corn as well. So although we may be, you know, the WASD report showed the corn balance sheet projected to come in much more in an adequate stock situation around 2.2 billion here. Um, you know, if we're stripping away acres from corn in the future, that's again something that, that goes along with what's happening in soybeans. Yeah, absolutely. It'd be interesting to see what the South American acres are for soybeans. The way they're pricing it down there is it should be favorable to beans. And it, commodities have a way of reverting back to the mean. One of them is you price one commodity at an advantage to another to attract acres in this case. You can see that with beans and corn. Um, yeah, I, it, it's going to be interesting because like right now and heading into the new marketing year, corn looks the heaviest on the balance sheet. Soybeans look the tightest. Wheat's Winter wheat looks bearish for Chicago and tighter for Kansas City and Minneapolis. But all that can change in six months to a year. If we get a monster South American soybean crop, then soybeans won't be tight anymore in six or seven months from now. But if South America has weather issues and, and a lot of the acres went to soybeans, well, <laughs> we can come into 
you know, next, uh, next spring and soybeans and corn are both fighting for acres. So if I'm on the buy side here, uh, I think we got to recognize soybean oil is going to, is probably the best bullish story organically for in, in all of the green and oil, grain and oil seed markets. I think the, if you need to protect yourself because of higher prices, soybean oil is probably the one to be most sensitive to and trying to, to get ahead of just in case you have that, have that big rally. Same thing with high protein wheat. We're going to be tight for another year. 80% of the world's export exportable wheat comes from Northern hemisphere. We've basically harvested all winter wheat. I actually did it a month ago and spring wheat harvest. We're getting into it now. It'll be wrapped up in the next six, probably next six weeks. And then that's the supply that needs to be price rationed for the next, for the next 10, eight to 10 months. Um, for the most part anyway. So, and corn, corn may be down in the dumps now compared to the other markets, but it won't last. I mean, eventually the acres do shift as Tom was saying. So I don't know, Tom, if you're a, if, if you're an end user and you need to buy some of these commodities, what are your, I mean, what are you most concerned with? Well, I think you mentioned before seasonally where we get to be on the calendar, typically at the end of August and into September as Farmers clear out storage of old crop bushels. It tends to be a short-term flood of supply on the market. But we know talking to farmers, we're basically, for a lot of them, we're at their revenue protection levels here. The current board prices in Chicago, we're, we're basically at their insurance levels. So unless you have to sell the crop, why are you going to sell it when, when insurance is covering you if it goes low? I mean, I mm -hmm. think they're throwing it in the bins. I think they're finally seeing some carry in the market. I think they're, they're storing that crop away until the market rallies. So I, I do think that's a reason, just the simple fact, not knowing that we're at some of those revenue protection levels. Yes, can it go lower into, into the fall here and, and into harvest? Yeah, once we get through that, that amount, work our way through that amount of grain that has to get sold to the market, I think we start to see, you just look at the seasonals, we start to pick up the pace by about October when we when we're at kind of the September October when you're at these harvest lows so I'd be I'd be thinking about going forward and and trying to accumulate purchases at these uh, kind of harvest price levels mm -hmm. and to cover out maybe the next uh, you know three to six months yeah um, that'd be my thought we've also got you know what we didn't talk much about either is there's some world weather areas of concern beyond Australia, uh, beyond Brazil to worry about. I, I think of Australia, wheat is still a question mark. Mm -hmm. There's expanding drought there. Um, I think about India and the fact that their monsoon, I think their monsoon season I saw was the weakest rain totals since 1901. Um, India being one of the obviously largest producers of wheat for domestic consumption. That's, a, that's another factor for the wheat market. You, Russia, you have a, a larger harvest, it looks like. And, you know, they continue to be the lead exporter on the world market. But um, in China, too, you know, you had you had a very dry start to the year in their summer row crops, corn and soybeans. And then you have this massive uh, flooding from after effects of a typhoon to where their domestic cash prices in China for corn right now are extremely high. And I know the import margins are very good. They're buying a lot from Brazil right now. They just signed that new trade agreement with Brazil last year. Otherwise, they'd be buying a lot of this from the U.S. So you look at the export markets there, too. U.S. corn becomes more competitive October forward, looking out into the, into the forward curve. So for those reasons, um, I, I think in this September, you know, over the next 30 to 60 days, if I'm an end user, I'm probably wanting to start 
coming up with some strategies here that allow me to be accumulating, you know, uh, some some purchases uh, down and around the hardest price levels. Yeah, I'd probably just I'd probably be contracting everything out till 2023 and then 2024. Uh, using if you I mean if you can use some of the financial markets, there are probably some very interesting collars that you could start building around uh, the 2024 marketing year too. So yeah, I agree with you. The risk is to the upside, at least for the next six months, most likely. Yeah. Especially and in case you're listening and you don't know what a collar is, Craig, what is a collar? That is when you buy a call and sell a put. And what we are basically doing as an end user is you are capping your risk exposure with the call just in case the markets explode higher. And that put, the, the put you put beneath the market is a, uh, is is basically a, a price that you're very comfortable with and would be very budget friendly for your uh, for your fiscal year. Okay, and you can do those through you and at Stonex, correct? For absolutely, yes, we do it all the time. All right, great. So, any questions on that? Give us a call. Uh, should we move over into the energy space? What are you seeing there? Yeah. So, the energy. We're we're entering the shoulder months. I personally thought we might see a little bit more fireworks this summer in the crude oil and the gasoline market, and we did have some rallies. Um, I thought it could be bigger, but I think the the U.S. economy, the interest rates, and the Feds, and you know, and the Fed with basically kept things a little bit in check too, and the concern about a recession. We're going to come into the the shoulder months here. You typically don't see. Big moves in September for the for at least the crude and heating oil and and gasoline, but you can start to see some moves or some setups for natural gas, which tends natural gas and let's say heating oil, which will tend to be in larger demand when you get to October, November, and December. Um, it seems like natural gas. There's value in natural gas when it's trading. In the twos, and it may be in the near term, but when you take a look out to December, where I believe we're somewhere in the mid threes, there still seems to be some value in the crude oil markets, though. While the uh, while natural gas is trading at a fairly steep carry in some of these months, going from fall to winter, it looks like the the crude market is a little bit inverted. So if you wanted to have some coverage, you know, going farther out there, you may find some deals out there. Good deal. Yeah, I don't know at what level does OPEC plus increase production, but maybe it's in the 90s somewhere, but longer term, I think there's, you know, I'm thinking three, five years down the road. Uh, oil prices seem to be wanting to head higher on you know, lower production and still strong demand, it, it seems. So pullbacks, I'm, you know, into those mid-70 area on, on crude oil. That's where I'm, I'm wondering about uh, maybe some areas for possible long-term hedges as well if, if we do get a move down yeah Some chart support in there there's definitely chart support in there also too when crude does get into the mid low 70s especially the high 60s opec is ta always talks about cutting and the biden administration needs to basically restock the strategic uh, petroleum reserve and they've been saying how they want to do that and this the thought is if it gets into the mid to low 70s, they will be doing that. So they're in theory, fundamentally and technically on the chart support, there should be there should be support in that mid to low 70 area. All right. 
Anything else you want to add? In ter- I know for our next upcoming up- episode, we're going to have one of our experts maybe in plastics and packaging come in to tell our listeners about a market outlook on that sector. I know it'll probably tie in somewhat to what energy is doing as well, but we'll have more details on plastics and packaging for, for listeners um, if you tune into the next episode. Anything else you want to cover here today? No, I think that pretty much does it. I just think, listen, in, when it comes, if you're a buyer of grains and oil seeds, I think you can get lulled to sleep here with prices coming down as we head into the end of August. And seasonally, that's how these things tend to work. Uh, it's usually a good time to get some coverage on, make your purchases for the rest of the year and have some hedges on for 2024. And you know, as Tom was talking about, the possibility of El Nino and the fact that soybeans are going to need a lot of acres. And they may probably be stealing it from corn. It's not that, you know, corn isn't that abundant on stocks. The corn can get tight pretty fast too, if you just get a if you get some lower acres and a minor crop issue. So, I'd be, uh, you know, my big takeaway is you got to take advantage of basically this decline that we we're having now. Sounds great, Craig. Well, thanks for being here today, uh, listeners. Where can you where, where should they go if they want to get in contact with StoneX? Yeah, absolutely. Well, if you go to the, check out the show notes, all of our contact information is in there, including the website and the email and the phone number. You can give us a call anytime. And you can also check out Controlling Commodity Costs, uh, the website there. You can sign up for our monthly newsletter, which is complimentary for anyone listening to this podcast too. Yeah. And in addition to the monthly newsletter that we put out, I want to make sure everyone knows we have a complimentary risk assessment we can do for any new company out there where we give you a look at all the commodities that your company is exposed to. Uh, we have a dial here trying to help you understand if it's bullish, bearish, neutral, and we have some strategy recommendations. So uh, feel free to reach out. That is a complimentary uh, risk assessment initially to get the conversation started. Hope to hear from you soon. The trading of derivatives such as futures, options, and over-the-counter OTC products or swaps may not be suitable for all investors. Derivatives trading involves substantial risk of loss. You should fully understand those risks prior to trading. Past financial results are not necessarily indicative of future performance. All references to futures and options on futures trading are made solely on behalf of the FCM division of Stonex Financial Inc., a member of the National Futures Association and registered with the U.S. Commodity Futures Trading Commission as a Futures Commission Merchant. All references to and discussion of OTC products or swaps are made solely on behalf of Stonex Markets, LLC, a member of NFA and provisionally registered with the CFTC as a swap dealer. Stonex Markets products are designed only for individuals or firms who qualify under CFTC rules as an eligible contract participant and who have been accepted as customers of StoneX Markets. This material should not be constructed as a solicitation of trading strategies and or services provided by the FCM division of StoneX Financial or StoneX Markets as noted in this presentation and podcast. Neither the FCM division of StoneX Financial Inc. nor StoneX Markets is responsible for any redistribution of this material by third parties or any trading decisions taken by persons not intended to view this material. Information contained herein was obtained from sources believed reliable, but is not guaranteed. These materials represent the opinions and viewpoints of the author and do not necessarily reflect the opinions and viewpoints of the FCM division 
of StoneX Financial or StoneX Markets. Reproduction or use in any format without authorization is forbidden. Copyright 2023, all rights reserved.